The goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. And we do that every week by interviewing successful people on the other side. Today, you will hear and learn from Lisa Bright. Lisa is the Chief Creative Officer of Ogilvy, California, and the Global Chief Creative Officer for PR at Ogilvy. She's worked at ad agencies her entire career, specializing in copywriting. She's worked at FCB, Iris, and DDB. Lisa Bright is a recognized and awarded integrated creative leader who has spent her entire career telling branded stories, bringing to life big creative platforms, and delivering non-traditional ideas in and out of traditional spaces. She's worked with brands like IBM, Gallo, Cottonelle, Glad, McDonald's, Wrigley, L'Oreal, Yahoo, and Jeep. All amazing. Named number four on Business Insider's list of the 30 most creative women in advertising in 2016, Lisa's work consistently harnesses the power of brands at the intersection of culture and creativity. So if you want to learn how to break into advertising, thrive in it, and balance life and work, there's no one better to listen to than Lisa. Oh, and she left some additional resources she recommends you follow to stay on top of the competition. You can find those on our Instagram at breaking and entering pod, all one word on Instagram at breaking and entering pod. You can follow that account to see our guests new secret resources every week just for you. Now on with the show. This is the breaking and entering advertising podcast. And as usual, I'm your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. Lisa Bright, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Gino. I know we've tried to get this on for a while. We're both pretty busy, so I'm really glad that we both have the time now because you are in, where are you? You're in San Francisco area. Yes. For those who know it, I'm in the East Bay, Berkeley-ish. Okay. Yeah. What's it like over there right now? What's the weather? It's fabulous. It's a little cool today. So it's like sunny, but as always, on the side of the bay, it's usually pretty sunny. You don't get the as much of the fog and the grayness. Yeah, it's like 60s. And you moved for, there from Chicago about a year ago, correct? That's correct. Um, like almost to the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you probably miss Chicago, right? There's parts of it I miss, of course. <laughs> right, right. Now, where's your office at? Because you, let's talk about who you are first. You're the tre- the chief creative officer at Ogilvy. And we I were just talking before, but tell us about what that title means and where your office is at. Yeah. So I am the chief creative officer of California or of Ogilvy West, depending on who you ask. We have an office and presence both in San Francisco and LA. And so I moved here, like you said, from Chicago a year ago. I started at Ogilvy the March before we moved, so just over a year ago. And I came on to take this role to really grow and build the creative presence in California. It's a tough market for big networks. And they reached out to me to say, we want to 
give it a go to try and build and grow that presence here? Are you in? And I said, hell yeah. So it, 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 to me, the best of both worlds because it's a giant big network with a big net, but you get to build something new and different from the ground. So right Wait, now we so have a small. It's brand right? new. It's brand new. Or it's not there, brand new. They've cut? always, yeah, there's always been a presence. It's gone up and down. Like they've had some big pl- clients over the years that they okay. lost and the work has shifted. Sometimes it's more advertising. Sometimes it's been more PR. Sometimes it's been a blend, blend of both. And over the last couple of years, there just wasn't, there wasn't like creative leadership. It was a super small creative team and it was just, it just wasn't the kind of creative commitment wasn't there, but there's always been some kind of presence. So it was more about just making the commitment and the investment to wanting to invest and commit to, to more creative presence in this market. Okay. And did you say you're on the PR side? So my role in California is across everything. I, I have only worked at advertising agencies and that's my background. Mm-hmm. And so was brought, hold on, sorry. So was brought in to California to grow the creative presence, build out the advertising side of the office and the agency. And then a few months in was approached to actually take on the role for chief creative officer, the global chief creative officer for PR. And almost the flip side of that, which was to bring, you know, more creative force and power and presence to the front of everything we do, including PR. Okay. So it's a dual role situation. A, a dual role situation. Yes. Okay. So let's start with California then. Like you, you said you showed up and it was a little inconsistent. You and you were there to bring some creative consistency to the California, which is LA and San Francisco, correct? Yep. So what's been, and you've been there for about a year now, what's changed? What was the game plan? What's working? What's not? Where are we at uh, a year later? Yeah, I think it's like consistency and also just leadership. It was filling a gap that didn't exist. And so what I've been doing over the last year is really building that foundation of both the structure of the team, the level of the team, as far as the creative bar. And then starting to really build the relationships with the existing clients we have, but then also start to build an intentional new business approach, create the positioning. Who are we? What's our personality? What do we want to be? And so again, I feel like the foundation is in place now to start developing. It takes hopefully time. Hopefully, sure. Totally, right. Even just to do that part. So hopefully now in the next year, focusing on getting work out into the world that's representative of that that's representative of the team that I've started to build and not just me, but then representative of the work I'm doing with the other, with my other partners and the rest of the people in the agency. When you're developing your positioning for the agency, are you working with a chief strategy officer? Like you're the new business lead and like, who's a part of that process? Yep. Our leadership team is myself, our head of strategy, our then group managing director who Mm. again is, the managing director over managing. both San Francisco and LA. And then oh, okay. there's, and then there's managing directors below that, that also partner with me on whichever account I'm on. 
And then it's also our group creative lead and a few other people on the team. So our leadership team is pretty inclusive of kind of every anyone who's at a more senior level. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you developed structure and creative bar, and now it's time to execute and create right. that work. Yeah. Gotcha. Is there anything that you're really excited that's coming down the line that you think will be representative of like your what you want the agency to look like? Something that what's most exciting right now, you think? Yeah, I think so. Again, and this is where the, I feel like this might be starting to get boring for anyone who's going to be listening to this, but so we can pivot. But okay, <laughs> I think the interesting not contradiction, but I think the interesting blend of where the two roles meet is the type of work that I think is most celebrated in the world today. The work that I love to be doing has always been a bit more of the non-traditional thinking. And I think that shows up in what now we all are calling earned creative ideas. To me, being at a place like Ogilvy, in a place like California, but then also doing it in my role across the globe in PR is what I keep saying is that the best work and what I want to drive and build is work that is earned from the start, but has brand at the heart, because I don't think you can have one or the other. We've seen that story on either side of that. You can't just go and do big brand films and traditional marketing and advertising without stuff that's resonating and permeating culture, or you're not going to make an impact. You also can't just be doing one-off earned tactics that might be getting you these quick hits in culture, but that aren't connected to the rest of your brand. And so I think we can like harness what Ogilvy is really known for and amazing at, which is that brand building, but do it with a more modern approach that has earned thinking at the start. So even when we're creating a film, like we should be thinking about things outside of film through idea earned ideas first, but even when we're creating films and TV spots or whatever, it should all have this earned lens of what are people going to want to talk about and share and how are they going to want to engage and participate? Yeah. Yeah. I know some, maybe an older school of thought was like, you think about the headline at like at the start of the creative yeah. process. Is that still Crispin relevant angle? Yeah. Okay. That is Crispin. Yeah. Cause I, mm-hmm. I have heard that before from Crispin. Yeah. I think it's more relevant now almost. So when you start off like with your briefing, is that is that something that you recommend people to do? Is think about the headline first. Headline first early on. Of, yeah, whether it's through what's the kind of PR headline, if you will, or what's going to get picked up, or what in culture, what's the headline, right? What do you want people to be saying about this this idea or this piece of work or this campaign? Yeah. So I'm uh, as a communications director and like with a PR lens too, thinking about everything we do as an agency, like I wish, and I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly because I just started, but I hope that some, all of our accounts, whenever they're briefed upon a project or they start off thinking about that, that would make my life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Versus deliverables. Like my least favorite brief is a brief of deliverables. Like I'm like, I always put that to the side. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we can take this from a a lot of different angles, but I guess it's called breaking and entering advertising. So I want to understand, because right now you are a chief creative officer, but not everybody starts, nobody starts off that way. 
So figuring out like, how did you break into advertising? Did you know, like, did you go to college? Did you know you wanted to study advertising? Was this like a freak accident? What was the moment you decided, hey, I know I want to do advertising? Great question. Like, how did I get here? I wake up sometimes and I'm like, where am I? What? <laughs> Love it. I definitely grew up being like a, I think I loved advertising without knowing it. I didn't grow, like I wasn't like nine years old being like, I want to be in advertising. I didn't know what it was, but yeah. I clearly remember I used to perform skits and I remember one making my cousins create a song and perform a song that was like a playoff of remember Payless. I don't know. They might still exist, mm-hmm. but it was shoes, right? shoes, but it was mm-hmm. pay more shoe store. And I like created a whole jingle. Okay. <laughs> I was so, I, there was like that. Part. And then I grew up through my angsty junior high school, like writing poems. And so I had this like creative side to me for sure. I didn't know how that was going to manifest or transform. I then went to Illinois State University, ISU. With, yeah. State school. I wasn't a great student. I was like, sure, they accepted me. I'll go here. A lot of my friends were going there. And I was like, okay. I think I want to go into advertising. That seems like this thing I want to do. They're like, oh, we don't have an advertising program. We only have marketing. And I was like, I guess I'll just do that. (laughs) Hey, that's awesome too. So I did that with a minor in econ and then graduated. Honestly, I got some like weird jobs. Like I actually, some, a family friend, I started at Edelman coincidentally, but I was in the accounting department. I don't even know what I was doing. Accounting? You were an account executive. You were an account, no, like in account, like in accounts receivable, payable, doing some kind of nice. admin. Just good route. That's a good yeah. safe career yeah. accounting. That's what my yeah. dad always told me. Yeah. And then I got another weird job as a market research analyst at a place called Sevrar, or no, not Sevrar, Securitas, which was like a secure, like the badges with like the red dots. Did that for a couple of months. Then now I'm like getting really into it. And you're like, don't tell me your life story. I was a marketing coordinator at a real estate association. And I was like, what am I doing? I want to go make the stuff. And people are like, you have to put a book together. And I'm like, I have to write a book. What the hell? It's right. And then, book. yeah. And then ended up moving, whatever, came back to Chicago, looked into Chicago portfolio school after people told me that's what I needed to do. And I was like, okay, cool. And then my friend was like, Oh, these people just reached out to me about this secretary job and job at PDB, but I don't want it. And I was like, I'll give them my name. So I took this admin job at DDB as I started at Chicago portfolio school. And yeah. I think both were like an equally great education. I think what was great about portfolio school for me is I'm very much like a, a self starter, whatever you say, like self-motivated person. But so, and again, what was great about that program is you were going to it at night, but at the same time I was going to school during the day working as an admin and I had amazing people who I worked for and who I was their admin, who they would give me briefs. And like, I produced my first Chicago Tribune print ad when I was an admin and I knew what storyboards were when I don't think you were, we really learned that I learned like how the stuff actually works 
aside from just coming up with the ideas. And so then after school, got a job there, started on the new media team, mm-hmm. which was like DDB's version of trying to start a digital group, which was cool because I got to literally write some of the first websites that existed for brands. But then also was like, but I want to go do some of those cool McDonald's spots and I want to go work on Wrigley. And so again, just like I would raise my hand or I would go walk up to flights and be like, can I have a Wrigley brief? Like I just, and I had really great people around me who were definitely more experienced with me who would be like, sure, partner up with me. And I just had this great, amazing experience there and mentorship from everyone. It was such a great supportive way for me to grow up. And I think it helped me exponentially grow more than maybe other people did at that level. And then I moved to New York. And I think that always helps you. I think when you move, it helps you grow a bit beyond a role or a new agency or a new city. It just, I think you, I think it's good. I think it's healthy. Um, Absolutely. And how long were you at DDB before you moved to New York? A couple of years. Two years as a writer, two years, but I, yeah, before that, yeah. That's about yeah. right. That's yeah. about, that's still relevant today. People switch, jump around a couple months, two years, three years, and you have to in some way. I don't know. I can't speak. I haven't been in here long, but like jumping around. That's how your salary and your title increases for the most part. Yeah, it seems absolutely. like that's an easy way to do it. Yeah. Exactly. But there, are, there are people that spend 25 years in one agency. I don't Which know is also good for some people, to be honest. Hey, whatever like, floats your boat. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, but I like the part when you were saying, like, you would just ask for Wrigley briefs. And I think this is like some crucial advice right now. What I've noticed. Yeah. I go in the office every day. I don't mm-hmm. know what the, where anybody is at or, you know, what, yeah. what hopefully by the time you get your job, you can go once or twice at least a week. Yeah. That'd be ideal. Cause once you're there and people are there on a day that when people show up, just from what I've noticed, like just our interns are, they're jumping around getting on whatever projects they want. People are so helpful. And maybe cause it's just, they're not used. People are just happy to see people, yeah. but there's so much collaboration when you're there. Yeah at the office that you can just walk down the hallway, sit in on a meeting and nobody cares. Like for the most part, it's also like exposure is really point important, right? Mm-hmm. At, at every stage of your career, but it's like getting in front of more. Cause I think sometimes it's hard to as juniors, especially in the virtual world where people don't know who they don't like people up here. Don't even know who's working on the work and getting that exposure in new business pitches or however you can to have people not just see you, but then show up and deliver and have them see your work. So that people are asking for you. And yeah, it's crazy. Like I started my career digitally at Edelman and I couldn't figure it out. Like I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to meet people. Yeah, like These people had their cameras off and that's fine. But being in the office as much as possible has helped me. People be like, Hey, Gino, come in here. We need you. Right. And I wasn't even supposed to be in the meeting. Yeah. And so that is really helpful. So I like that idea of bouncing around, asking for briefs if you're not assigned. It helps to be in person, but I even do so digitally. I'm not an expert in how to do that digitally, but I guess you could just like message people and just say, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That sounds, it it sounds in theory. Work. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. just like it takes harder work to connect in general in this environment. So you you took that admin job, so like a secretary, like administrative assistant role, and you also did portfolio school. Was that hard to balance? Not that I'd remember. I th- like that's what I mean. I think they they complemented each other so well that I. I never felt like it was, no, again, and maybe that was because I just, I'm a self-motivated person that I wasn't, it wasn't ever, like I felt yeah. burnt out by it or, yeah. Yeah. Not at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because <laughs> now I know books, I don't know what year you, you were at portfolio school, but especially today, now today, the caliber of books are insane. If you've seen the VCU and like the Miami yeah. ad books, like the work out from these, and I was at portfolio school, so they're obviously, I'm obviously biased, but, and I love Jeff. So if you're listening, shout out Jeff, but the shout work that Jeff. they're doing, yeah, uh, the work that they're doing is just insane today. So it's I don't insane. know if, if, I don't know how it depends on who you are and your work caliber, but it might be difficult to have a nine to five or like an agency job. Like, I don't know. But I can I can see that being harder to balance. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I was probably doing that work during the day, though, and I was getting input on my work from people in advertising, right? Yeah. So I'd be like, and yes, I will say it was. I would have to say it was probably way easier when I was in portfolio school. It was marker comps, and then once you had the five campaigns of mar- of print like objects. Yeah, you turned those into printed, yeah, art directed I mean, objects that you put. But I mean, there's not the added element of building the site and then needing, oh, yeah. and needing ideas that go beyond a print like that feel yeah. bigger or more digital. Yeah, expanded across all these different things. It yeah, was yeah. like it was just idea. Yeah, which yeah, sure. you could argue. Of course, you could have the argument of like better or worse i don't know but oh yeah but that's a whole other episode so wait when what was the first role you broke it your copywriter so yeah. you built your book and then ddb was like all right good job your book looks good we know you you worked here why don't you just be a copywriter yep that was it and then that was on the new media team like i said okay. built some websites they had a lot of meeting filler of a lot of cool digital ideas that like the clients just weren't buying at the time which is funny because it was even like there was like I remember some AR stuff and QR code ideas, which was like a long time ago. Whoa, nice. And now, so it's funny. And then yeah, but then I jumped and wanted worked on some TV, so produced some TV spots there. Then went to New York and bounced around. I freelanced a lot, so I did a lot of both. Like I would go to a digital or social first agency, and then I would go to. Kaplan and work on Wendy's TV and I just kept building up both sides of my brain so then that's why I think I would always bring the one to the other so even when I was you know creating TV or more traditional work I still always looked at it through a non-traditional lens and then vice versa if I was working on digital social stuff I was like oh how do we bring the bigger brand idea stuff into this so in your early to mid-career 
Was there an ad or something that you created a campaign that you thought of that like really sticks out that you're really proud of that, or maybe there was like a, a moment where you're like, well, I'm going to be good at this. I still don't know if I'm going to be good at this. Do you know? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so I don't know if that ever happens. <laughs> right. But I think when there's a lot of work that I'm proud of for a lot of different reasons, but I think when when I worked on the Jeep portrait spot, which again was added digitally, it was at a place called Iris, which was a digital social first agency. We didn't have any brand AOR, but we got a Jeep brief for a Super Bowl spot. And it ended up winning the Super Clio. And, it, and so it's like, also oh, what was nice. interesting is like the Super Bowl spot was the thing that we got kind of recognition for at this. <laughs> so again, it was like the way that my world would clash. What was in the interesting well, ways. Tell me about it. It's called Jeep portraits. It was for their 75th anniversary. And it was really celebrating the Jeep drivers and this kind of people who have a Jeep. There's a cult behind oh, yeah. it. Right. Jeep, um, Jeep. Yeah. And so it was just, how do we, how do we tell that story? The lens we kept putting on it was like, if it looks like any other Jeep spot we've ever seen, let's not bring it. And so we just kept pushing ourselves in that way to tell a Jeep story in a different way. And again, so using more people than car porn, if you will. The Terminator, I saw, who else is in this? I just saw. And the other thing about that one is, yeah, Aretha Franklin. We wanted to put the Pope in there, but that was because there was like that shot of the Pope in the Jeep. Do you remember that? Yeah, but that didn't get cleared. How do you even go about clearing that? Yeah, they you don't. They say no. That'd be awesome. But we also, and this is, seems maybe insignificant, but we worked with YouTube to actually create a custom letterbox because at that point we were already at a time where people were watching the game and on their phone, double screening it. Yep. And so we created a custom letterbox so that if you were watching it on your phone, if you turned your phone, like you yeah. didn't, you could watch it this way. Okay. And it basically was like full screen. Huh. So again, just what are in anything, what is the kind of non-traditional thing you can bring to this? Or even then as I'm, and then, okay, moved around, moved back to Chicago, freelance for a bit debated starting my own agency but i'm like who am i don't have enough experience yet i'm sure you could have probably but Do you regret you know, it i don't regret it i think about it sometimes it was also like i had just had my second baby i also like having babies throughout all this yeah um, that's important that's probably more important. yeah yeah definitely priorities but then, I, that's yeah, all like, other conversation how you balance that because I, I can't i'm 24 right now i can't even imagine like having a girlfriend i but don't and i was just deeper talking- issues aside Let's like, dig into that. Yeah, yeah we get that. <laughs> but it's like start a podcast where I yeah, where I interview you about your relationship issues. Yeah. So many. <laughs> I blame advertising. I'm gonna put it all on that. Yes, there you go. There you go. No, anytime someone asks me how do you do it, I say I don't. And I That's feel good. this responsibility to not give off the impression to not just women, but also men in our industry that 
sure, I usually have a smile on my face and I usually can push through a lot of things, but it's not easy. And there's some things that I do fail at or that I, it's like, I'm not doing it. And it's also not just me. I have a, a network that I've built around me of support and people. Yeah. When people say, how do you do it? My response is just usually, I don't. <laughs> Interesting. How old are uh, your kids? They are about to be in one week. They'll be eight, six, and four. Eight, six, and four. Yeah. So working from home, you've, have you been doing that? And has that helped? Or is I had somebody say working from home made it a little bit more difficult. It, obviously, it has it, its pros, like being with the family all the time. But then you're 50-50 on both areas. Because going to work, you're 100% work. You forget about yeah, things. You can compartmentalize. Yeah, I, that would be my answer is there's, but it's also like I've had dinner with my family more than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. I spend way more time with them, even though that time is maybe me in the other room, but I see them, I feel them, they see me, they feel me. So there's that piece of it. But I, from the beginning, I've struggled and don't think I've gotten to a place where at least I've figured out how to maneuver it and create some kind of consistencies and boundaries and way to work around it, but I don't love it. See, I even have the issue. Like I work in an office every day. That's like my thing. Cause I have a small apartment. I'm under the L in Chicago, but even when I get home, I'm still thinking about, okay, maybe I'll just do one more hour, one more hour of emails and get ready. And I just keep thinking about that. I never do it. And it just sits in the back of my head while I'm home. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not even enjoying being at home. I'm home. thinking about putting in one other hour. I'm like, yeah. what the heck am I talking about? I'm not, well, I know yeah. I'm not, I know I'm not going to do it. Why waste the brain space? But it makes me feel better because it's like, maybe I will get to it. Maybe. Yeah, that's my (laughs) issue. But back to you. So the, what was it like? So you, did you, did you have to jump around a lot to get more promotions? Was there, or is that not the case? Cause it looked like you were at a lot. I wasn't like purposely doing that to get promotions. I wasn't like, Oh, I've got, it was just, Oh, I would. Just wasn't what I was. I'm being honest. Like I wasn't like, there wasn't a time in my life where I was like, put like CCO on a piece of paper and was like, okay, I want to be a CCO one day and this is how I'm going to do it. Um, oh, why not? That doesn't I sound like a bad idea. It doesn't sound like a bad idea. If that's how you operate. I just was always, what's the next thing in front of me. And I do feel like, but even that, I don't, know how much of it was intentional and i feel like i just woke up one day and was like oh here i am yeah yeah, i think the moving around helped because i got different perspectives i got different but i would also like in new york i bounced around a lot but i was at iris then left and then went back and then that's where i got this accelerated promotion because i think the relationships i built there and yeah so what was your favorite work of all time then? Was it the um, portraits that you've made? Favorite piece? I think that feels like the most special because it was a special moment in time. I do feel like it's maybe was the moment where even if I didn't think I was it wasn't the oh now I know I'm good at this but it was like it felt validating to some degree which that's all I'm looking for. Yeah. It's a little validation every now and then. <laughs> yeah. I love that yeah. stuff. I yeah. can't get enough of it. Cool. Cool.
cool. But then, so, like, I went to SDB and I was able to. We did a lot of great work on Glad and Cottonelle. And you think about those brands, it's garbage bags and toilet paper advertising for a trash bag in a non-traditional way by doing it in a way that you, that doesn't look like every other trash bag ad. So what'd you do? It was a demonstration. It was a giant product demo. Yeah, it was called Torture Tests. The first one was airports. And we did a few after that. None of them were like as successful as the award shows will tell you still ones that we had fun with but it's like the sequels they're never as good as the first one um, godfather yeah and and it really was like we actually went through rounds of they were in this phase where they were like oh we really want to do like purpose-driven storytelling in 15 seconds and you're like we just went through rounds where we're like we can't tell this larger more emotional story and deliver three rtvs they had this new bag that was like the force flag. They had this like insane name. <laughs> and we were like, we took a step back and we were like, what you, all you, you, what you want is a badass product demo. Let's just give you that. Give yeah. us a second. And we, it, the idea actually came from like a, we have had this thing at FCB, which they still do called like the beyond wall and a team had put it up and it was just the visual of the luggage ticket and the carousel. and. I think it had even said on their torture test, maybe, or maybe that came later, but we, we then were like, okay, we had a presentation. I think it was like the next week in, and we would have to travel to Oakland actually. And so on the way to the meeting, we filled bags, we filled the trash bags with clothes and put them through the airports. And I think we did, we did 10 of them and seven of them made it through on the other end. And so the clients couldn't buy it. We showed up with the bags and we're like, we just put these through the air, like through yeah. the airport system. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Super fun. And then on cotton, we created a new platform called down their care. And that whole process was like, so fascinating strategically because we were like, why can't a toilet paper brand be a wellness brand? Like you, you put so much into all of this, like how much stuff do we like put on our face? And we're so conscious about how, and, and the amount of money yet, like, and then also even you get wax down there and there's vaginal steaming, but then you just, you spend a lot of money and then you just wipe with whatever's on the yeah. roll. So like this idea of taking it from a commodity brand to a skincare wellness brand, like sure. unlocked this really amazing new territory. Oh, that's a great strategic process. That's, yeah. I'm curious. Did they continue with that? Do you know? Yeah. It's still happening. I think there was a chance where it might have been dead, but I think it got revived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even visually, we were like, let's take cues from Glossier and from all mm-hmm. these other brands and liberate. I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see me because that was a big thing of liberating the product from the packaging. That was like, yeah. oh my God, you're going to show the product without the packaging? So there was these like, and then even how they do product demos. So it, in the middle of most, especially toilet paper commercials or any, or even garbage bags, there's always the cut right to the product demo of, okay, here's what it, here's the blue P on this one. And here's yeah. the blue P on the other one. Yep, yep, yep. And we're like, do we have to do that? And then we, we introduced this peach and we're like, what if we actually show that by using a peach? So we had a beach scene, like a spot that was all about going on vacation. So then you like cut to the peach. 
that's like on a sandy beach. Okay. <laughs> so again, how do you look at things, even if it's just a, a product demo and say, okay, what is the non-traditional way that we can do that? Or what's a way we can do that and still deliver the same information, but in a way that doesn't look and sound like everything else that tries to deliver on this. I like that. And now we can tie that into even when you're breaking into the job market, like differentiating like the traditional customs of job searching. So there's obviously your resume, your cover, your cover letter, your portfolio. It's like really important to look at those and know what the traditional, like what the norm is. And then, Finding out ways to disrupt that in a clever way that's not annoying. It's a fine line. Nobody totally. likes to stunt. I've seen it. Like I've seen people put a ship a bottle and that doesn't work. So I don't know. Maybe that was really cool in the nineties, eighties, seventies. I don't know. But I know there are some of those you get that you're like, oh, this is really nice and cute. And some of you is this creepy? And then something you're like, like, it's just about being authentic. Don't try too hard. Yes. It's go above and beyond. And how do you set yourself apart in a way that doesn't get lost in the pile and the shuffle? Um, yeah. But yeah. But what advice would you give to somebody today that's looking to break into copywriting art direction or strategy? I think what you were saying earlier of showing up in the office is a piece of it, but is the you have to be hungry, right? And you, it is, no one is going to, especially when you start, no one is going to put briefs in your lap. They're just not. And you have to be hungry to be the one who's chasing the opportunities. And I would also say something that I wish I learned earlier on was like, you also can't be precious. You just can't. And it's so hard starting out. You can't be precious in the sense of too, like, it's, it's so hard, but nothing is personal, right? It's not about you. It's about the work. What do you and mean by precious though? Precious, like, don't, if you, I think there's a lot of times, at least early in my career, where it would be like, I would have an idea and someone else would have an idea. And then it would become this thing of, that was my idea. Or that was, when you become like, everything is this like, you try and protect it in this precious way. But there's something about you learn over time is like once an idea is out in the once it's out in the air, it becomes everyone's idea. And then everyone who sees it and touches it and builds on it becomes a part of that idea. And everyone's just trying yeah. to make it better. And I try and tell people to put the lens too on feedback of if people are giving you feedback on something, try and take it more as a compliment. Because it means they care about the work and they want to make it better and they want to help you get better. Seriously, it, this is really tough. I've seen it today, like or like the past couple of days, our interns are broken up in two different groups for a group project, and uh, the, one of the interns I know is was a little upset that her idea didn't get picked. Yeah, or like it got it got taken, or they ran with it. They might change it or something like that. And she was like, I don't know, precious about her original idea, protective over it. I'm like, you gotta get over that. I don't know, like you're, you you can have, I, I guess what I was trying to tell her was like, come up with 50 more ideas. So that, right. who was just what? there? This, this is Bo. He, I just said I'm on a podcast. And what yeah. did you say? Whoa. 
whoa, you're in a podcast? Legit. It's awesome. <laughs> I, that's why I was just rambling there, everybody, for like five seconds. Hi. Hi. What's the name? What's your name? Bo. What's up, Bo? So what's up, Bo? Here, do you want to say hi? Mm. No? Okay. No. It's called breaking and entering advertising. How old is he? Can we listen to it? Six. We can listen to it in a few weeks. He should there's a lot of episodes, so he could and we can listen to all of them, but if you want to listen to mine specifically, we can listen to it in a couple of weeks. But after all in the world, yeah. Yes. Sorry, while in the world is the top podcast around here. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's hard because the Wi-Fi is done. Yeah, no, I'll get that. This is the last question. Any other like advice? I guess don't be too precious. Don't be too protective of your ideas. Once it's out there, it's everybody else's. But anything else that you would like to say? Is that the podcast? Oh. Okay, guys, can I finish up and then I'll tell you all about it? He's he is he's the host of the podcast. Okay, can you go in the other room and I'll come tell you all about it? No, I think something that is less related to the work, but I think it's how you show up and do work. And I think how can grow in, in your position and in the industry is treating everyone the same. So I, you don't, I like to say you should be treating the admins or the people coming in and cleaning the office, the same that you, the same way you treat the CEO, the same way you treat the CMO or the CSO. Um, and I think that has helped me to, I don't know, develop an even playing field and a grounding to say no one here is better or worse than anyone else. We're all just here to do the job and we're all a part of the same, whether yes. it's an agency or whatever, and everyone is equally important. That goes a long way. It yeah. really does. Like when you're in the agency setting, like, I don't know, that you notice it, high pe- people high up people you're above and just treating everybody equally and nice and it goes a long way and you can yeah. tell oh this person makes me feel good when he's when he's in the, when he's in the room when he or she's in the room i want to ideate with them let's right. give him him or her opportunities it makes sense yeah it starts off with being a good person yeah and i think if you give anyone too much inflated importance it then affects you and how you're able to show up oh so, yeah like it goes both ways yeah, that's hard to do though. Sometimes I get nervous or anything like that by yeah. somebody, but it's just reminding yourself that treat everybody nice and they'll be good. All right, Lisa, this is great. How can people reach out to you if they want to ask you more questions? They can reach out to me by my email. What do you usually do? You could do email, you could do LinkedIn. Just do you get back to people on LinkedIn? Don't say you will okay. if you don't. Yeah, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Hit me up, Lisa Bright, or email lisa.bright at ogilvy.com. I'm probably more responsive on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Than email. But yeah. Cool beans. All right, thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate thank you. it. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, bye, Bo. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. If you like what you heard, it would mean a lot to us and help us grow and get better guests, better break-ins. If you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us five stars 
and a small review if you have time. Be sure to connect with our guests if you like what they said by going to our Instagram at breaking and entering pod. It's all one word, breaking and entering pod on Instagram. We have links to their portfolios and their LinkedIn. And they want to connect, so do that. And thank yous. Thank you to Mikey Malarkey, our audio engineer, and Uchan Zhang, our creative director. Can't do without you two. And a team from the University of Illinois. It's a student team from the agency called AdBuzz, their PR agency. And it's been a pleasure working with them. Thank you all so much. And we will see you next week with another amazing guest.